Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Silicon Valley Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Aaron. And today we are not in the same room. So for the first time in all of the podcasts that we have done over nearly four years, dozens, if not hundreds of podcasts, Aaron and I are not in the same room. So we've got a little bit of a we're, disclosure. We're not, even in the, we're not even in the same building. So let's go around the table and see if anyone has something that they need to disclose. I'll start with myself. Nope. Okay. I don't have anything. Aaron, do you have anything that you'd like to disclose to our listening audience? Yeah, I live in California now. Wait a minute. I, I have become I have become part of Silicon Valley. So you got so into Silicon Valley. So your dedication to this show and to understanding the inputs and the factors in Silicon Valley led you to move to Silicon Valley? Yeah, I drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> so Aaron, for those of you who are unaware, has moved law firms. Cue the sad music. A great loss for us, but a great opportunity for Aaron. Aaron, you want to talk briefly about where you've moved to? Yeah, I've joined a new firm in San Francisco called Atrium. It is connected to a legal technology startup. If anybody's familiar with Justin Kahn, it's Justin Kahn's new startup. And they're working on basically innovating the way the practice of law and the delivery of legal services to companies, especially startups, is delivered. Having practiced law for nearly 10 years, I would say that the legal industry is ripe for innovation. Now, Aaron, what will be your focus out there? So I'm just doing venture financing work. So Atrium, the law firm, is currently split into three small groups, one being Atrium Council, which is sort of the general outside council legal services for companies. Then there's Atrium Seed, which is focusing on a lot of sort of Y Combinator companies. And then there's Atrium Financings, which is what I'm working on, which is Series A, safes, convertible notes, that sort of stuff. So how long have you been there? Today is, what, day four? Today's Thursday. So yeah, day four. Have you screwed anything up? Uh, as far as I know, not yet. Have you been fired? I have not yet been fired. Have you been paid? No. So okay. I've not so, yet been paid. So, but but uh, to be fair, I came in on a payday. So <laughs> Okay, well we'll see. We'll see what happens in yeah. two weeks. Knock, All right. Knock on wood. Well, the good news is through the beauty of technology, it doesn't really affect the podcast schedule much other than us being a few days late. So we'll go ahead and blame Aaron's move for that. But yeah. We continue to do this. This actually should be a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to all the insight that Aaron can provide from actually representing Pied Piper now, right? You guys represent Pied Piper? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Aaron, this is the finale. Did you know that? Finale, finale. Finale. I, fin- and wait, I wait. Did, How did I you say I was aware of that. Finale? 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 Finale. No, okay. because we're talking about a technology company, so you have right. to put an E at the end. Right, that's true. Usually the E goes at the front, it's the E finale, but this one is this the finale. This was the finale.io. Okay, so yeah, this is the season finale. I did not know that until I queued up the episode. Were you aware of that? Not before watching it, but then in talking to some people at the office, they had mentioned that it was the season finale, and I said, oh, I didn't realize that, which you know makes the ending make a little more sense. What were your overall impressions of the show, of the episode? Uh, of this episode? Yeah. It was fine. It, uh, I felt like we got some more substantive legal topics that we can talk about now. Yep. 
I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the last two episodes. I don't know if they necessarily saved the series, but I yeah. thought it was good. So, all right, let's walk through it, Aaron. So they're finally launching Pied Piper. I thought it was funny as he's walking through the office of all the developers and saying, okay, the front enders and the back enders and the user experience guys and stuff, like everyone's just, you know, they're they're all segmented in their little group of of engineers. But they're two months later, no one's shaved. So I all guess right. this was like them, like their NHL playoffs. No one shaved until launch. Their staff has gone from what, 50 to 10? Yep. As they as they burn through whatever remaining financing, because they ended up not doing the Series B deal, so whatever financing they had left, but and they just look miserable, right? They look pretty miserable. They're getting a handful of users each day. Then all of a sudden, they think that they've hit an inflection point, right? I guess everyone and every startup who's on a user acquisition mission, because we've talked about this before. You know, your startup either needs to be getting revenues or getting users. And a lot of right. true Silicon Valley, real venture companies, I'm going to say real, but unicorn venture companies are much more focused on gaining users or traction before revenue. So it looks like they're focused on on users and they're trying to hit an inflection point to where the growth now becomes exponential instead of linear. This is kind of everyone's hope and this is the hockey stick growth. It's the hockey about. stick, exactly. Yeah. So they think they've hit that, but of course, Guilfoyle and a couple of the other characters are a little skeptical as to where the growth is coming from. Yeah, I thought it was a little a little unrealistic that they would just be so happy about the increase in user growth without really figuring out, well, why is this happening? Well and it took it took Gilfoyle and Monica to basically sit down and figure out, oh, it's it's not just pure users signing onto the network. So they you know they explored this theme in season two or three when Dinesh was paying for users, right? Out of Pakistan, I think it was, or some Bangladesh or something like that. So the fact that they didn't recognize that quickly, but I, I definitely think that that's a concern. But I could see also how a company might be so enamored with its product, or, or Richard might be so in love with it, and then also so anxious to see some level of success that his first thought is not going to be, you know, once they finally start to have some growth there and the first thought is not going to be, oh God, is this the wrong kind of growth? Or is this coming from the wrong place? Right. Let's see here. So they hit that inflection point. Then they start to explore where it came from. Well, at least Guilfoyle and Monica do. Did you see what they pulled out, Aaron, out of uh, Guilfoyle's drawer? Yeah, a bottle of Pappy. Bottle of Pappy. And that looked to be... I think the 23 year label. I would. I wish I knew enough about it. Or I had an. <laughs> I had a 23 year old uh, bottle of Pappy in my office or at home to be able to recognize the label, but that definitely was not a label that I had seen. But yeah, it was interesting that they had the Pappy. You know, we've had it, Aaron. I don't know if it's uh, as good yeah. as the marketing tells us that it is. So right, it's delicious, but right, it's not, it's not bad by right. any. So there's a lot of other means. bourbon. Um, so Colin shows up. Colin had gotten fired from his job at K Hole. Why did he get fired? I didn't quite. Did they mention that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think they did. He pulled his users, but that was that was because he was following what Laurie, was, you know, a member of his That's board, correct. was telling him to do. That's correct. So I don't know that they explored it, but this goes to show you: Hey, you're the founder of your company. You give up control. You give up job security, right? And we see this all the time. So let's talk about that a little bit, Aaron. So when do you typically see founders giving up board control? Probably. After Series B. Yeah. B for sure. A, maybe. It's kind of depending on how much experience I mean, you have, how aggressive your earlier term yeah. sheets were. I mean, I would say that after a Series A, 
you're probably either going to have a three or a five person board. And if you're at a five person board, investors should really only have two of those seats. Two of them should be common. And one, you might say, okay, it's being voted on by preferred and common as a single class. But in that case, I would still think that the the common being the founders would still have control over that. Yeah. In our experience, that third, which is, you know, there's some combined seat or an independent usually referred to, the common uses a lot of influence. And if we're representing the company, I think what we can do is we'll try and draft docs that say we'll nominate the independent and the board can approve it. So that way you can have that person a little bit more favorable to the common or to the founders versus the board nominating the independent or the investors nominating the independent and common approving it. But yeah, I would think B or later, you for sure given up board control. Not for sure, but most likely sometimes at A. But I want to be clear, if you're giving up that board control, you're giving up job security because the board appoints the C-level directors. So if you're going to give up board control, then you want to negotiate an employment agreement. You want to negotiate a contract term employment agreement. And for the most part, giving up control isn't a huge deal if you're doing what the board and what the investors want you to do and the the company is progressing and growing. And and if everything's on the up and up, then, yeah, you don't need to worry about job security. But in the event that things take a turn for the worse and things aren't going as well as you hope, then that's when you need to really be worried about job security. And like Aaron said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you're not building the business, if you're not growing the company and we've got tens of millions of dollars invested in this thing, maybe you're not the right person for the job. So usually, Aaron, when we get involved, we're representing companies, right? Not individual founders. And we want to do what's best for the company. And at some point in time, what's best for the individual, the, the initial founder of founders might not be what's best for the rest of the shareholders. And so you have to recognize that. And we do get that a lot where a founder gets into a negotiation regarding his or her employment agreement with investors. And usually at that point in time, we have to tell the founder to go find someone else to represent them in those employment agreement negotiations because we're going to have a conflict. We represent the company. But I do believe in wisdom of the board. Now, Lori Bream is an extreme example right? of all the clients we've dealt with. I rarely, if ever, have seen a board member who is as decisive and maybe as emotionless as Lori Bream is. You know, yeah, and I, I started to have some questions, especially towards the end, and we can jump into this later about, because Lori still has a board seat on Pied Piper, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, she's got some fiduciary duties to the company that it seems like maybe she's not really complying with. Yeah, no, that's a great point because Lori Bream reports to her investors, to her limited right. partners, and so she's got to make sure that she's been a good steward or helping to be a good fiduciary student for Pied Piper. So yeah, that's a great point. Okay. So Colin is available. Richard tells him to kiss my piss. Kind of silly. wish they could have come up with something better there, but I guess- Does does that terrible dance. Yeah. The terrible dance. I mean, we all know how awkward Richard is. I don't think they have to make up goofy lines and dances for that. Uh, Let's see. So Guilfoyle and Monica figure out after working all night, figure out what the issue is in that they are loading the phones in Yao's manufacturing plant, right? They're loading the Pied Piper net to it. And as a result, because this is decentralized, once you have 51% of the network power, then you would have the ability to make updates to it because you just get 51% of people to agree to do so. So this is a very smart plan by Yao or or Gavin. Well, not really Gavin at that point in time, but I guess that was Yao and, and Lori, right, Aaron? 
who were working against yeah. Pied Piper. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, that's back to the point you had. So now Lori's directly contradicting or acting directly against the interests of Pied Piper. She would have She's serious. She's Pied Piper. Yeah. She'd have serious legal concerns. Or, boy, I didn't even pick that up as I was watching. But you're absolutely right. So that's just never going to happen. Something like that. So they figure this out and Richard starts coming up with a plan. This actually was some of the best CEOing that Richard done all season, maybe in the whole series. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is, no, he, this, this demonstrated leadership. It was forward thinking. It, I mean, it was all the things that I have accused Richard of, of not doing before. It made him seem like a real CEO. So let's think about the actions here. I mean, he was tactical. He was strategic. He had a very difficult conversations, right? I mean, obviously this is theater, but to walk into Gavin Belson's house, when Gavin's always destroying shit, walk into his house again and then get on that video chat with Lori and Yao, which I had some concerns about the time zone differences there. But, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, it's the middle of the night yeah. in China. But to outmaneuver him, that sort of strategic and tactical thinking is what you need to be able to do as a CEO. I just had an email, Aaron, with one of our clients who was asking questions and he was doing something that was very day-to-day and he was making decisions that was really day-to-day. And I said, look, ultimately, this is your decision to make. But I just want you to think about this. Stop thinking about how this affects the company tomorrow and think about how this will affect the company in a year or two from now. Because these guys are yeah. currently going through a, a very large seed round, you know, a two point or one point eight million dollar seed round um, here in Texas, and what he wanted to do, I thought, was very short sighted given the life cycle of the company. Because you and I know, Aaron, in one point two to one point six years, he's going to be raising five million dollars, and I right. want he wasn't thinking about how this decision was going to affect that. And I thought Richard did an excellent job of kind of thinking, okay, I got to make a decision right now that is going to affect the long-term position of this company because he could have gone and he could have worked out a short-term deal with Gavin to do this. And I see a lot of people do this. He goes to Gavin and says, hey, Gavin, look, just help me out here and I'll give you whatever you want. And he actually offered to give up his entire company, right? But you see people who say, we'll fix this now and then I'll worry about it in a month or two and I'll start to... But you're just constantly putting Band-Aids on things. So Richard obviously had the benefit of this being fictional. But I thought that it was real strategic and tactical thinking, which I think is part of the reason why I really enjoyed the episode so much. Uh, why is Jin Yang moving back? I didn't quite catch that. Was it because he lost all of his money gambling? I couldn't figure out like when they showed him at the table right? if that was – because it seemed like he was not interested in talking to Gilfoyle until – the dealer right. called something out and then all of a sudden he was interested in talking and he was interested in moving back. So, And then I thought that they were going to use Jin Yang somehow because he had access to the Chinese labor market or Chinese technology or something like that. So I didn't quite understand that. You know, Aaron, for a while there, I thought that maybe this was going to be the last episode period. The way they set up at the very end where Richard is walking into that massive, massive you know, lease space or massive, massive building. They've got three floors. They've got 20, 30, 40,000 square feet. They have to fill it with desks and infrastructure and IT support and people and whatnot. And I thought maybe this is it because now he's running a massive company. Are people still interested in this? However, the the fact that Jin Yang is supposedly coming back, right? That's foreshadowing, obviously, more work next year. And then our producer did some research and she said, yes, there is a season six. So next year, is the Silicon Valley be about Richard running a massive company. Is that interesting? I think it's interesting in a different way that, that we haven't seen on this show before. But 
at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if in the interim between now and season six, if they wrote in a storyline where somehow something happens and Richard completely screws everything up and now they're back to being just a tiny startup. So I think those are both good points. You know, your first point about this being interesting is we haven't seen it before. Maybe that is interesting now, right? Maybe people don't want to see the struggling startup and meeting with his venture attorney to do his seed round deal and chasing down venture capitalists in a lift. Maybe that's just not interesting anymore and people want to see them moving on. I do think at some point in time, the audience can start to say, and now he's just running a business, right? That's not really that fun to me. On the flip side, yeah, like, like the way that from last week's episode to this week's episode, they went from this kind of like extreme exuberance to two months later and they've launched and they're only got a couple thousand or 10,000 users or whatever. So obviously they can use the non-linearity of Hollywood to address that. Uh, I guess we should talk briefly about Amazon's buying Huli. Yeah. Right. I thought it was funny. I thought I, I thought it was funny when Gavin was like, I'm never going to work for Jeff Bezos and they said, that's funny. We talked to him and he feels the same way. <laughs> yeah. And also there is the Gavin's character is great. There's the uh, situation or during the discussion with Lori and Yao and Gavin said something about he doesn't get invited to the Tim Cook brunches anymore. <laughs> I thought that was uh, thought yeah. that was really good. Can, can we talk about Richard's tactic of offering to give up the entire company to Gavin? Because that that was another thing that just seemed completely unrealistic to me especially when you can you consider that you have laurie on the other side who is an investor in pied piper richard can't just give up the entire company to gavin so before we get into the legal analysis do you think that he really felt that way or do you think that he was setting gavin up like you know trying I, to show I, gavin that he's emotionally vulnerable I think he was setting Gavin up, but Gavin is a smart enough guy right. to know, hey, this company has a ton of stockholders already. He can't just give me, you know, even if it's an asset deal, he can't just give me the assets. And especially with Lori on the other side, like Lori would have said, hey, I'm on your board of directors. Don't you have to get this approved? Don't you have to get stockholder consent, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So that that's a real legal obstacle because let, let's just assume that Richard did want to do that and that Gavin was willing to accept it. Like you mentioned, Gavin would know that Richard doesn't have the authority to do that. And then Gavin's obviously in cahoots with or in connection with Lori. So he, I'm certain he knows what Lori's position is, her investment position and her director position with Pied Piper. So in real life, Gavin's response would have been, that's ridiculous. You can't do this. Stop wasting my time. But I think that obviously it's Hollywood and they're just trying to show I guess that Richard loves the business more than money or more than success or whatnot. He just wanted to make sure it didn't get, fall into the wrong hands. You're saying they're not writing it specifically so that the lawyers that are watching the show right. are pleased with the, the legal reasoning? Especially the lawyers who are watching and reviewing the show. Right. Pleased with the exactly. Yeah, they are definitely not doing that. Early on, a lot of the stuff, I felt like we were just commenting and just kind of trying to explain what they were doing because it was mostly right. You know, Aaron? Now, yeah. as the show has progressed, I feel like we're just pointing out the flaws in it, but it's become so fantastic. I mean, it's the way that in doctor shows, a patient comes in, he's admitted immediately, and he's just charged you know, an hour later. I guess they just have to accelerate those timelines, and some of the impossible has to happen in order for the show to progress. But I thought it was a great show. Uh, oh, do you want to talk about Holden, the cheerleader, for a sec? He's just been he, broken? He seems, yeah, he has, he has been broken, and he, man, that poor guy. So Holden kind of gets stripped down of all of his 
his initial, his thoughts or his mannerisms by Jared and all that gets released and just becomes this ridiculous cheerleader. And it reminded me of the character in Homeland, who is now in Billions, I can't think of his name, who converted to Islam, right? Then he came back and he, he was uh, willing to plant bombs in the US and in DC on behalf of ISIS or whatever group it was that he was fighting for. So Jared has this evil streak in him, which could be interesting as Jared progresses. You know, we talked about there's a season six. So as Jared continues to move up, you know, Jared also, Aaron, I don't know if he intentionally did this, but remember when he took all of Richard's limelight on Bloomberg? Yeah. I mean, is there any possibility that Jared was doing that intentionally as he's trying to build up his own ego or his own resume? I don't know. Could be something I, to do. I don't think so. No. You're probably right. I think... I mean, I think with Holden is the only real example that we've seen of Jared being sort of evil. Malicious in any way. Yeah, I agree. All right, Aaron. Well, those are my thoughts on season five, episode eight. This is called 51%, by the way, because that is what they had to get to in order to control the network. Aaron, always a pleasure doing this. We will have to figure out what our next series is because Silicon Valley won't start again. Season six won't start again until next year. So what I'm thinking we explore is some sort of West Coast versus DFW or kind of Midwest, maybe in a couple months, figure out what you're learning, what's different out there. Um, how are things the same? Yeah, uh, That might be interesting. I would also like to just do this maybe once a month or so just to kind of check in and catch up. Maybe we'll come up with some topics. Continue on the line of things that are helpful for our respective startup clients. And then we'll see if uh, we get any requests. I'll keep monitoring email, see what uh, what the fans out there are looking for. Awesome. All right. In closing, check out our other podcasts. These are under the title Office Hours in the iTunes store. You can check out Venture Deals Review, which is where Aaron and I reviewed chapter by chapter Brad Feld's Venture Deals. It'll be very helpful if you're thinking about undertaking a financing round. Also, our seven-episode series called Preparing for Funding, which is becoming must-listen audio for all of our clients who think they're going to raise capital. And then our three things, which is where we interview different people in our community. Uh, we ask them three things about their business experiences. For questions or comments, please email us, podcast at VelaWoodLaw.com. Our show notes for this show can be found on our blog at VelaWoodLaw.com or via the link in the iTunes episode description. Finally, remember, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is the Silicon Valley Review. Five stars only. All right, Aaron, you got to get to work. Talk to you soon. The Velawood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, and Silicon Valley Review on the iTunes Store. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at